This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no E's dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts Up. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello there, transpersonal radio listeners. Have you ever dreamed of owning your own little slice of paradise? Ever had fantasies of owning a condo or house in another country, but it's so overwhelming you give in to thoughts like, it's a great dream, but it'll never happen? Or have you made your manifest list or created your vision board, but you aren't sure what more you can do? Or maybe you're not even interested in owning property at all, but you'd like to travel the world and save on lodging fees and maybe even get paid to be a house sitter. Heck yeah! But what do I do? How do I get started? How about some practical advice from today's guest, Taylor White, who knows the ins and outs of buying property abroad. Taylor has been boots on the ground in many countries, has extensive experience with the process and legal considerations of buying property overseas, and he's here today to share his amazing insight so you can finally create your reality of property ownership abroad. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me today. It's exciting to have you on the show. Angela, I'm excited to be here and love the introduction. It was not easy to just concisely talk about everything that you've been doing. And so I'm glad we have an entire interview that goes beyond the intro. Angela, it's actually very simple and we're going to break it down and not only make it simple, Angela, but we're going to make it fun. Awesome. Well, I've lived in many different countries during my lifetime, including Germany, England, and Mexico, but I've never had to concern myself with owning property. I do have friends who have purchased homes in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, although it's my understanding that it's not really purchasing, it's more just leasing for 99 years, if I recall correctly. Angela, there's a lot of restrictions in some countries, but the one as far as Mexico, that's only within, if you're within a certain distance from the ocean, then you do a fideicomo um, through a bank, but technically you still own it. But with considerations that are big like this, one thing that I definitely recommend is dealing with a great in-country lawyer to walk you through the steps. It doesn't have to be this big, scary thing, but you can definitely own property in Mexico. And I've had a lot of people on my show, specifically from Puerto Vallarta. Well, I'm going to guess at the top of the list of concerns when trying to purchase property overseas is safety, not getting scammed, finding affordable deals, and finding reliable people to look after property when you're absent. Is that pretty accurate? 
Angela, you are dialed in. Also would be money. Where do I get the money or how can I buy overseas? I think throwing that one in, but other than that, you are dialed in. All right. Well, I think those are the things that probably most people would want to know. So, Taylor, you've lived overseas since the age of 27, and you've been buying and selling real estate in five different countries as an investor. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get interested in buying and selling real estate overseas? Absolutely. Would love to, Angela. Born and raised in sunny San Diego, California. Had a phenomenal childhood, raised by a hardworking entrepreneurial father. My mother was a professor, going to school, playing sports, doing the education, went to high school, went to one year in college. And Angela, I said, I love college, but it's not for me. My blood's kind of hot. I want to get out there. I want to start making some money. Money. So I've, I did a few things over the course of a few years. I was a partner in a pizza place. I cleaned uh, pools for wealthy and famous people in Del Mar, La Jolla, Rancho Santa Fe of San Diego. Um, I also got involved with real estate. You know, I was cleaning those pools of those amazing houses, Angela, and I said, I don't want to be cleaning their pools. I want to have one of these houses or maybe the lifestyle that I think this person leads by having this house. So that started my um, introduction into real estate. I got started, of course, reading fantastic books and um, newsletters. I can't remember, but I don't even think the internet was really out then or maybe it was, but it was just starting. So I read a lot of great authors, um, and most notably the one that really comes out in my mind is someone like a Robert Allen um, who talked about creative financing. So starting in around 2001, unfortunately, right after September 11th, which was a tragedy, what happened, the U.S. government needed to spur the economy. So one of the things that happened was there was creative financing that came into play for um, mortgage loans and they dropped the interest rates. So that's when I got started. It just so happens around this time. So I got started, Angela, with creative loans, literally didn't have any money, didn't have any credit, didn't know what to do, but I just started. And I started buying one place and selling one place and then taking that money and kind of doing it over and over and over, over uh, the, the course of a few years. Of course, that simplified. It's much harder than that. But during that time, I got a little money together. And the other thing that I love besides real estate, of course, is travel. And I've been to some amazing locations. But my first trip was to Thailand. And when I first arrived in Bangkok, I said, wow, this place is amazing. Went to Koh Samoy, an island off the coast of Thailand. Went to Costa Rica and Argentina and a lot of amazing spots. And I said, I have an idea. There's real estate in all throughout the world and I need to make money and I love traveling. So why don't I combine travel, real estate, living overseas, become this international type of person. And it just so happens that I went to many, many conferences about living, investing overseas. One happened to be in San Diego and that's where sight unseen, I definitely don't recommend this years later, but this is how I got started. I bought a pre-construction apartment at that time in a country I had never been to by a fantastic husband and wife team who I still talk to, to this day in Buenos Aires in a building that was not yet complete. But that's how I got my started buying my first place in Buenos Aires. And from there, I've duplicated that um, into a few different countries. And it's been um, fun ever since. Wow. Well, I want to touch on a few things you mentioned there. I think first of all, I know I myself and I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners can relate to your story about, you know, hey, I don't want to just clean these people's pools. 
I want to own that pool along with that house it goes with, right? And, uh, you know, it's uh, for me personally, I don't necessarily need a really huge house. My dream has always been, I want this, you know, just a nice small, maybe two bedroom, maybe three bedroom, very, very small house, but I want it to be right on the beach, meaning I want to open my back door and I have a little backyard, but right down the little steps, there's the sand and there's the ocean, right? And so that's been sort of a long time dream of mine. And the other thing that's really interesting, I think you um, really kind of jumped in and probably learned some things along the way, which is excellent because we're going to talk about that. But, you know, it's interesting. You talked about this uh, subprime uh, mortgage lending and um, that, of course, has changed over time. And I also want to ask a little bit about your you know, how were your feelings at that? I mean, you were excited, you were motivated. Was there any type of reservation or fear? Like, what am I doing? I'm buying this property that's not even completed in a foreign country. You know, what am I getting into here? What what was going on in your head? Angela, fantastic question. The imposter syndrome, right? We all have the imposter syndrome. I have it all day, probably way too much. I probably need to do some yoga and calm down a little bit. But I definitely <laughs> have that imposter syndrome. But when I first started, and I look at it like this a lot of the times too. Now, you know, what I don't mention is that I've read, I've read hundreds and hundreds of books. Even at that time, I was reading two and three books a day. I was attending... Um, in-person conferences. I was finding people that were doing what I wanted to do. And I was asking them question after question after question. So it definitely wasn't just a leap into something I didn't know. It was something that I definitely did some due diligence and did some research. But at the same point, I was coming at the time, and it doesn't matter your age, but I was coming from the standpoint of, look, I don't have any, you know, quote unquote, anything to speak of, right? I don't have any money. I hardly have any credit. I don't have, I don't have anything. So if I'm going to take this leap of faith, which I think is a good leap because I've done my due diligence. I have confidence in myself. I have a network or a circle of trusted contacts, but let's suppose it doesn't work out. What's the worst that can happen? I'm back to zero. So I'm not really <laughs> losing all of that much. Of course, I have faith in myself and it was a step-by-step -step process. I learned all day, every day. I continued to do education. But for me, it was a, let's do this. Let's figure it out. It's the Michael Masterson book from a couple of years ago, Ready, Fire, Aim. You get ready, you do your research, you do your due diligence, you have your circle of trusted contacts. At some point, nothing starts, right, Angela, until you do. That that's that fire aspect. Then once you're going, once there's a movement, motion creates emotion. Once you're going, then you can adjust your course as you go. It's like an airplane. It knows where it starts. It knows where it finishes. And during that course, it comes off a little bit. And that's okay. You don't have all the answers. I'm not going to have all the answers today. Certainly didn't have them a week or a month or years ago. And I won't have them all tomorrow. But as long as I'm going down the correct path, that's all that matters. You know, that's excellent, Taylor. And I think that applies to life in general. I think that applies to no matter what path people decide they want to take, get going. So I would say that there may be a lot of expats or expat wannabes listening today. Uh, for any listeners not acquainted with that term, an expat is short for expatriate. It's someone who lives outside his or her native country. 
Are expats a large part of your clientele, Taylor? Um, well, I should clarify in that I primarily buy and sell real estate using my own money for the most part, or if I get financing. I have a real estate site where I deal with owners, agents, and developers that list their own property on my site, but I'm not technically an agent with them. However, I started out buying and selling real estate in San Diego and have my real estate license and broker's license then. Um, so I'm not technically a licensed agent where I get commission helping other people buy and sell. Gotcha. But you're running in these circles, so you kind of have a good idea, I would guess, about other people running in these circles. So what does the demographic look like for people buying overseas? Are these all wealthy people with too much money, so one house in one country isn't just enough? Or are there more people like yourself who maybe d didn't have a lot of money or uh, didn't have credit when starting out? Maybe is that still applicable today? Can people who, who maybe aren't that well off financially be able to do something like this? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it, it depends. You know, someone can, no doubt, we can go into some some other strategies as far as house sitting or home exchanges, but you don't have to own. You can rent overseas. It's definitely recommended when you first go to a new location to first rent, not a long-term lease, but a short-term lease. But the demographics, there's a lot of demographics. So as a, for instance, I've lived in Panama um, over the course of many years. Um, there's a lot of demographics. There's Panamanians who, of course, buy real estate to live in. Some of them buy real estate to rent out. There's in-country developers. There's out-of-country developers. There's expats that live in Panama from the States or Canada or a lot of other Central American or Latin American countries, especially from like Colombia and Venezuela. So there's a lot of locals from, or there's a lot of expats from all over the place. You know, an expat, you're absolutely correct. There could be different definitions. One could be just living outside your home country. The technical term might be like legal expatriation, might be that you might physically get up your citizenship for another one. But the community is full of a lot of different people. It might be someone renting. It might be someone as a house sitter. It might be someone buying one place that they actually live in. It might be somebody that's starting a development along the coast, of, you know, in Panama. So there's a big community and a big um, wide range it's not a one size fits all excellent excellent so what advice do you have for the average person who's maybe living paycheck to paycheck or who has a modest savings who wants to kind of get started and get in on the overseas real estate action well i think that's a fantastic question angela and again i definitely recommend that you don't ever buy until you really know an area but you know one great strategy that someone might want to use angela if they want to check out some areas is something like house sitting there's a fantastic site trustedhousesitters.com i've had andy peck on my show um, where you can be a house sitter so you can stay in someone's house for free and in exchange you might watch their their house, you might water their plants. And more specifically, a lot of the jobs come with pets. So people might be traveling. So you are staying in their house for free. And in exchange, you might take care of their house and you might take care of their pets. So I don't think that you necessarily have to be living in, let's say, San Diego, and you say, you know what, my feet are kind of antsy, and I have a little bit of money, but not too much money. Why don't I buy overseas? I say, why don't you just first take some baby steps? Of course, you can't visit tons and tons of countries, maybe, if you have a budget, but maybe you can visit one country or two countries or um, specific cities in those countries, or maybe like Puerto Vallarta, Angela, which was a great example that you gave, you might have friends there. So you might maybe listen to 
some podcasts. Mine might be one as an example to where you can listen to some people's stories of living in Puerto Vallarta. Maybe they rent or maybe they own or maybe there's an agent that comes on the show and you say, you know what? That sounds really interesting to me. I love the um, community. I love Mexican food. I want to be on the beach. There's an airport right there in Puerto Vallarta. Why don't I follow this up just a little bit from home and why don't I send some emails or why don't I hop on just like we're doing now and do a free Skype to Skype call and ask some more questions and do some more due diligence first. And then why don't I think about maybe a good way to fly down there that doesn't take either too much money or maybe that can use some airline miles and you kind of do baby steps into it. And then once you're there, if you do like it and you have the capacity to possibly buy something, then you look at other people and you say, you know what, what are some example prices of apartments or houses? or lots if I want to build and you see what other people are doing and you take your time and you don't rush it and you find out what real values are. I'm a big believer in you don't have to own um, and, and we can define what owning means, but you can rent, you can do some other things and there's this mindset too that this is permanent. It doesn't have to be permanent. Maybe um, Puerto Vallarta, Angela, as an example, is something that your friends liked, but guess what? Maybe you didn't like it for whatever reason. It's kind of hot and humid sometimes in Puerto Vallarta. Maybe you didn't want it so um, tropical. Um, maybe you'd want to go someplace else like Medellin, Colombia or Thailand or Spain. That's okay. It doesn't have to be permanent. And sometimes you don't know. And uh, until you tried out a little bit. And that's why I definitely take, I would definitely recommend taking baby steps first. Excellent. Excellent advice. So kind of, kind of segueing from uh, what you just said a minute ago about uh, the cost involved, what's the least expensive and the most expensive overseas real estate transaction you've brokered or been involved in? Um, yeah, definitely. I can speak of myself and the cheapest I would say would be buying like a lot in a development that I've purchased that I've personally bought in um, a couple. One that comes to mind is Los Lotes in the Azuero Sunset Coast in Panama. Um, that price was $36,000 for a 10,000 or so square foot lot. Um, the most expensive that I've personally bought, I believe, is something around the low 300,000s. And that's been for an apartment. Now, this apartment, you know, it wasn't all cash. So it was something that I was buying from a developer. So I had staged payments. Um, so it wasn't all cash all at the same time. You know, of course, that would depend on the transaction and who you're buying from and the country. But again, I've personally done things as cheap as 36000 But as a matter of fact, though, I've done things that have been cheaper when you look at how much cash I've outlaid so it doesn't necessarily have to be an all cash purchase. And there's a lot of markets where we think, Angela, are lifestyles of the rich and famous, but they're not. There's a show I have coming on very soon that's interesting from John Christie from Christie Estates in the Bahamas. And I said, John, break through the myth. Is it only lifestyles of the rich and famous in the Bahamas? <laughs> and he said, Taylor, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you asked. That's not true. He has lots there. I don't know where they are specifically in all those small details or all those important details, but that's sort of $10,000. Right. So you can awesome. find things in countries that are very cheap. It doesn't have to be very expensive. And that sounds like something that you could do, like you were mentioning earlier, just to get started. Buy your first piece, 
sell it at a profit, even if it's a modest profit, and then build from there. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It doesn't have to be a big purchase. It can be a small purchase. If you buy it and sell it, you might use that money to go into something else. There's definitely a lot of strategies that you can use, but it definitely doesn't have to be a lot of money in quotes. And of course, that depends on what someone might consider a lot of money or not. Certainly, certainly. Let's circle back for a moment to your very first overseas real estate deal you transacted. You said the first uh, one was in Buenos Aires uh, in Argentina. So uh, let, let's talk about that just for a brief moment. How did that even come across your lap? How did you meet these people? And what did you learn from that experience? I've learned a lot from the experience. And I'm going to tell the story. And I can't wait to tell it. But before I tell it, I want to say I definitely don't recommend what I did when I first started in, in this story <laughs> before I begin. But Little disclaimer. A little disclaimer because it's because it's true. I definitely don't recommend. And I'll tell you it. Um, I bought. I was buying an apartment in Buenos Aires. So I was living in San Diego. There's a live and invest overseas types of conference in San Diego. And what what that means is there's um, expats and people from all over the world or in in select destinations that come to the conference that speak about it, that speak about different countries. Um, There might be lawyers, there might be accountants, there might be just expats living there and they tell you, you know, all about it. Well, one of the countries at the time, this was right after um, the Argentine peso crash, and they they always kind of have problems with their economy in Argentina, like they just are going through now. And um, this was around 2001, 2002-esque. And I met a fantastic husband and wife team, Paul and Maria Reynolds from Reynolds Properties. They're still there. There, they're fantastic. And I'm at the conference and they are presenting some deals. And I was buying and selling in San Diego at that time. Um, and they presented some fantastic deals. Um, the one that I happened to move on was in Buenos Aires in a development called the Baracas. And it's a development that, again, it was a country at the time I had never been to. Um, it was in a city that, again, at that time, I had never been to. Um, It was pre-construction, meaning I just saw the plans of a building that was supposed to be going in. And I just met these agents. So red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Um, And (laughs) but it wasn't an all cash purchase. So what it meant was I put down a check to reserve it, which actually was never even um, cashed anyways. And then that purchase, I believe, was something around seventy six thousand dollars if I remember correctly. And it was something like I put down a few thousand dollars to reserve it. And then every few months I, I had to make a um, small deposit, something around 4,000 or $5,000. So even then, even though that purchase was 76,000 over the course of a few years, I made it in stage payments. And I only think I put down 20 or 25 or 30,000 because over the course of a few years, I sold it. So it was one of those things that didn't take all the cash at the start. But that's how I got my start um, when buying my first place in Buenos Aires. Well, and it sounds like even though you mentioned these red flags, which everyone should pay attention to red flags, no doubt about it. I talk about that a lot. But at some point, it sounds like you still followed your intuition or, as you say, took a leap of faith. And in your case, it paid off. So this was, you know, your ability to actually get started in this get some experience, 
Tell me, Taylor, what's the most amazing transaction you've ever participated in? The most amazing? Well, Angela, I think everyone I partake in is amazing. You know, when I first started in San Diego, that's when, you know, the rates were low in 2001. There was um, quick appreciation in a lot of markets throughout the world, a lot of markets throughout the United States, a lot of markets in San Diego. So it could have been just dumb luck. But at the same time, you had to get in and you had to get out. Um, you know, that's when I was buying with zero down. So I could get traditional financing of 100%. Um, if I needed some cash reserves, or if I needed some, um, a few thousand dollars for the impound accounts for property taxes, and that kind of thing, I did cash advances on credit cards. Um, so for one purchase, I made for 274000 None of my own money either came from a credit card or from traditional financing. Um, I put in a tenant and I was using section eight, section eight tenants at that time. It meant that the government via taxpayers was subsidizing the tenant's rent. So I like that because it meant it was guaranteed on the first of the month. And between, uh, I think it was 18 to 24 months, something I bought for 274,000, I sold for 429,000. And I didn't technically put in any, any of my own money down, although there was carrying costs um, every single month. But that would be one example of a strategy that worked for me at the time in San Diego. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I would say that's a pretty amazing um, transaction, an amazing strategy. Uh, I agree. <laughs> and that's why I think, Angela, if you don't mind me cutting in just for a second, you know, sometimes there's not a one size fits all for everybody. So I started in San Diego at a specific time in a market um, where you're never going to get great rents. Um, via the purchase price, so you're always kind of negative. You know, I dealt with Section 8 tenants, which meant it was government subsidized rent. But to be honest, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always getting great tenants. Now, someone listening might say, yeah, Taylor, but I don't have that available to me in Germany or in Mexico. That's true. But in, in your own area, there might be ways of which you can do things. And that's why it's so important to do education, to listen to podcasts, to read newsletters, to read books based on your areas. And then, of course, meet people that are doing exactly what you want to do and find out how they're doing it. So there's not there's sometimes not a one size fits all, especially when you go, you know, in different cities or in different states or in different countries, but find out what they're doing where you want to do it and you can find out some great ways. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. What's a situation that totally took you by surprise when dealing with buying and selling real estate overseas? You know, Angela, when I first started and I don't want to talk bad about anybody in the industry because I think it's fantastic. You don't gain anything by saying someone else is bad. But there's a lot of um, mysticism when we deal with this overseas real estate niche. We think it's Thomas Crown slash Jason Bourne and everybody's traveling the world, making all this money with all these amazing contacts. So it, my eyes really opened when I first kind of started slow in San Diego and then kind of jumped into this overseas real estate thing in Argentina and Panama and Fortaleza, Brazil and Nicaragua. And I made quite a few purchases when I say purchases, it means signing contracts to be buying things. 
and I didn't have a clear cut exit strategy. It's very important before you put your money out in real estate that you understand what you're going to do with it before you buy it. I know that seems kind of common sense, but people forget. It's not like a stock where you can go to etrade.com and push buy, sell, buy, sell, and you're done. Real estate is not that simple. At the time, I thought it was going to be easier than what it was. So I had this money out in different developments, in different countries, different um, languages, and in, in Brazil it's Portuguese, in Panama it's Spanish, in a lot of Latin America it's Spanish, you know, in Belize it's it's English. So you have all these different things going on, different prices, and then the developments. You know, it's not the developer's fault necessarily, but it took a year longer, or two years longer, or three years longer. So I tried to have all these strategies in place, and I was buying going to buy here and use that money to buy there and buy there. So I was I've. I was too stretched. It was different countries, different cities, different developments. So I forgot your question because I got involved in this. But one of the things <laughs> that's okay. I was a little bit too aggressive. So one of the big mistakes was maybe being a little bit too aggressive, really going after it and being a little bit uh, stretched too thin. Okay, that makes sense. And and so let's expand a little bit on the money exit strategy. You encourage to pe- you you encourage people to have this money exit strategy in place before buying property. So you have gone into it just now, but a little bit more in layman's terms. What does that mean exactly? And how can our listeners implement such a strategy? Yeah, I think this is the most important. If there's anything that I say that's important, probably not. Hopefully I can convey this message is for anything, but especially real estate, because it's not push button. You don't push button, buy it and sell online in the matter of minutes. You have an extra strategy in place. That means you're buying it for what purpose? Now, let's go back to your friend's example. And let's say it's Puerto Vallarta. And you're buying it in Puerto Vallarta. Now, why are you buying it? Are you going to live there full time? Or are you going to live there a few months out of the year? And then you're going to rent it out a few months out of the year. That's great. How are you going to rent it out? Are you going to use local property management? If so, who are you going to use? And do they have numbers of what it's going to rent out for? If you think that you're going to go to Puerto Vallarta and maybe be on the ground and do some due diligence and to find, quote unquote, a good deal that you're going to turn around and sell like a buy to flip scenario, or maybe you're going to buy something that is going to be remodeled and you're going to put in some sweat equity. That's fantastic. How are you going to sell it? Are you going to use a local agent? It might be different than the agent that used to help you buy. It might be different than one that's going to help you to sell. That's fantastic. How? What's your strategy first to sell it? Um, how much is it going to cost? In real estate, sometimes we don't know until we know. There's huge transaction costs. There's plane tickets. There's conference tickets. If you have conference, um, there's buyer's agents, there's lawyers, there's title insurance. When you sell, there's property. There's all these fees are involved. If you don't know what all of these are before you get into the transaction, then you could get in trouble. Now, of course, if you're saying, Taylor, this is really confusing. I don't want to get involved on this. And I say, I agree with you. And that's why I say, take baby steps. And first, kind of you don't know until you know so talk to people that are doing it first so you have a better idea so if you're going to rent it how are you going to rent it out before you buy it and if you think that you're going to sell it have some strategies in place that might work to sell it before you buy it and even if it's a place that you want to buy you know we all watch house hunters international live here buy this i've had dozens of them on my show they're fantastic but we all watch it like oh i hear this word dream home quote unquote dream home 
home. I don't care all the numbers. I just want my dream home. Yeah, but let's say you buy your dream home, but who wants to spend 20 or 30 or 50% more than what you're supposed to spend? And let's pretend, let's assume someone dies, unfortunately, or you get divorced or someone gets sick and you need to sell, but you over priced it can't sell it and you don't know how to rent it and maybe you're 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 back in sacramento or you're back in ontario canada and you can't buy a plane ticket to try and figure this stuff out for your condo in puerto vallarta so i'm bringing up a lot of points because a lot of things come up and you don't know until you know but you need to speak with other people that are doing it so at least you have some better ideas of potentially what you're going to do with it before you buy it I really appreciate that, Taylor. And you really hit on a lot of things there. It it sounds like you're also helping people create an entrance strategy, not just an exit strategy. And you've addressed, you know, a, a very serious mistake you made and, and something you learned along the way was stretching yourself too thin and trying to do too many things at one time in too many different countries. And I appreciate you addressing some of the most common pitfalls that our listeners should, should be watching out for when they're trying to buy or sell real estate in a foreign country. Well, Angela, I, I, I think it's so true and it doesn't matter the country, but it's so completely true. I mean, it's amazing the things that I've dealt with now in a few countries. It's even if you've done a few deals or one or two or a dozen or a couple dozen, it's amazing the things that happen. You're like, how could I have ever planned on that? I've had um, a lot of situations where things came up and I'm like, I, I, I couldn't even foresee that was going to happen based on all the experience that I had. So that's why I try and network with people that have done many more deals than me or might be much smarter or are great lawyers that can deal with certain things or how to handle taxes or specifically rent things out. Or if I do get myself in trouble, how am I going to sell it? You know, there's all these different pieces of the puzzle that we need to put together. And that's why I think it's so important to network with people that are doing the things that you want to do because they would have a better idea like, hey, did you think about this? Did you think about, um, well, if you have a mortgage on it and you think you're going to collect rent, first, why don't you talk about talk with a property manager to figure out if how much it's going to rent for because it might not make sense to buy that one because it's one bedroom versus that one because it's two or three bedrooms because you might get more rent you know it's some of those kind of things that you might not think about until you speak with someone and you're like oh my gosh i can't believe um i'm buying a four bedroom apartment but this is in panama city but it's for business travelers and i'm spending all this money but it's never going to be rented when i should have just bought a studio or a one bedroom instead you know so it's kind of those things Totally makes sense. Excellent points. Excellent points. And that's a lot of value for listeners because, it, you know, it is overwhelming. And I love how you're breaking it down for people in ways that are easy to digest and understand. Because, you know, it's like me, I was interested in this decades ago, but I was so overwhelmed, I didn't even have a clue where to start. Now, Taylor, I know you're not an attorney and you're not putting yourself forth as one or offering legal advice, but from your own experience of things that you've been through, what are some of the legal considerations involved in owning property overseas? Like, for example, I was talking earlier about people um, only having a 99-year lease, per se, when they're trying to own, in quotes, property in Mexico. What are some of the legal considerations in different countries that come up that you've noticed? Angela, I think that's a fantastic question. You know, you would need to speak with someone from your own country. So let's pretend that you're from the States. You might want to speak with someone from the States, let's say as far as 
taxes. We don't get rid of taxes if you're a U.S. citizen, regardless of where you live, regardless of the income that you make. So a lot of people say, hey, it's tax-free, it's tax-free, dot, dot, dot. It might be true, but if you're a U.S. citizen, unless you legally expatriate, you're not going to get rid of those anyways. But one consideration would be a tax person from the country that you're coming from. And another one might be a tax person in the country that you're going to. On my show, I've had a couple great people that have dealt with um, – um, overseas expat taxes. One that comes to mind is David McKeegan from Greenback Tax Services. Um, another one is Vincenzo Villamina from OnlineTaxMan.com. Um, but lawyers, we definitely want to speak with lawyers in the areas that we're going to buy. Let's take it back to PV again. You know, as you said, I'm not a lawyer, but that's okay. I can speak in layman's terms. You would want to know, hey, I've heard, I've heard about this land lease or there's a certain um, meters from high tide or low tide or from the ocean. Who knows? Let me speak with a lawyer in the area who's done transactions and say, hey, how do I go about doing this transaction? So you definitely want to deal with someone, a lawyer in country. And then, you know, how do you find a good lawyer? Well, one of the ways, and this goes back to what I was talking about previously, of why it's so important to maybe go to conferences or to have a circle or just free expat like meetup groups is speak with other people um, and see who they've used, who have they used for lawyers and how did you deal with these certain kind of things and how can I open a bank account? If I'm a U.S. citizen, is it still possible to open a bank account? Can I do it in my own name or do I have to set up some kind of entity, uh, a corporation, foundation, trust, right? There's all these things and even the experts, let me be honest, no one knows. Like if you're from the States <laughs> and you're talking about taxes, even the experts are the experts, Ex ex-IRS accountants, they have no idea. If you're dealing with a lawyer in, in PV, their rules and laws, everything changes all the time. So that's why it's so important to speak with people when you're going to do it, of people that are actually doing it. So one, if it's taxes, deal with someone in your own country, deal with someone in the country that, that you might be going to, and then definitely lawyers, you, you, you would definitely want to deal with someone there. And then you'd want to probably do things like title insurance. How can I make sure that the chain of title on this property is not clouded? or the person that I'm buying it from can actually sign it. Maybe I want to get title insurance through First American or Land America that says, yes, Taylor White, this is your title and you can show it to whoever you want because not only would you want that, if you're going to sell it, they would want that. So you have to have all this stuff in order. And then Angela, you know, if you didn't know it and you're buying in Bocas del Toro, Panama, and it's right of possession, ROP property, even though everybody talks about Bocas del Toro, they say, oh, buy property, buy property, and you buy the property, and then a few years later, you're like, oh, I'm gonna get my title, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, it's not title, it's ROP, wait a minute, what's ROP property? Right of possession, oh, that means that the government owns it, but I can possess it, but they can take it back, then you have clouded, then no one wants to buy it from you, then it's a problem. <laughs> so speak with local people in the areas that you're gonna buy. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. You call yourself a digital nomad. What does that mean? A digital nomad, life, uh, laptop professional. There's a lot of names that people like to call things. You know, if you have a type of business that you can run from anywhere you have an internet connection, whether that is a cons uh, a consultancy service, whether that's taxes, if you can do taxes from anywhere, whether that's a um, website where you uh, pay or charge people to list, it means any place that you have an internet connection, you can have a job. 
You can have a business, right? So, so you're, 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 you're a digital nomad is your nomadic. You can kind of go where you please if you have access to the internet, which gives you access to people. Excellent. Excellent. That sounds like a lot of people's dream job right there. Because that's something where you're living your passion, right? So if you're able to, if you, you know, if you're someone who loves travel and someone who's interested in being able to rent or own property or lease property overseas in a country that you've traveled to and you just fall in love with it and you're able to make money on the road while you're doing it, hello, Yeah, fantastic, right? So that's why I say, even though I'm a real estate guy, you don't have to get involved in real estate or you don't have to own or you can rent. You can take baby steps. You might say, I'm going to first try out couch surfing, which is staying on someone else's couch or open space Mm -hmm. for free. Or maybe a step up. You say, I'm not much of a couch surfer or I've tried it. Maybe I don't want to go to couchsurfing.org, I believe is is the great website. Maybe you want to do something like house sitting, which I've talked about a little bit. Trustedhousesitters.com, which is like a step up from house sitting. Maybe instead what I'm going to do is find out, I'm going to go to trustedhousesitters.com, which is a great site. You can get signed up and you can see people's faces. You can see their videos. You can see past clients reviews. Maybe I'm going to go stay in their house for a couple of months and maybe it's in Perth, Australia, or maybe it's in London, England, wherever it is. And I'm going to try it out. And maybe that would be a great way that I'm going to try out some areas. Of course, there's going to be some traveling um, expenses and you have to eat, but maybe there you can develop some kind of business that you can take with you. Then maybe you might take baby steps into this world that you might not know at first, but you can take baby steps. Excellent. So Taylor, some of the places that I have personally considered moving to include Chile, Argentina, Belize. What's the hottest market right now? Meaning where do most people really want to go currently? Angela, that's a great question. And it really depends to on the areas of the world that we're talking about. So if we're speaking of Canadians and people from the States, just for no other reason, sometimes we forget, for no other reason because of geography, it's Latin America. It might be the islands like in Bahamas. I said, John, we can speak about, you know, Bahamas taxes and and um, set up entities and all this different kind of stuff. Let's be honest. One of the reasons why people like the Bahamas is because it's a couple hour flight. And he's like, yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, you know, the Bahamas or places like, you know, Mexico, Costa Rica, Belize, a little bit of Panama, uh, some in Colombia, Ecuador. Fewer people are from the states in Canada specifically are in Argentina or Chile or Uruguay for the simple fact of, you know, if you're flying from Miami to Buenos Aires, it might be, well, it's not, might be, it is, it's a 10 hour flight. So maybe you're like, I don't want to fly for 10 hours each time I want to go someplace. (laughs) Maybe I'll fly two and a half hours and go to Belize, or maybe I'll fly three and a half or four hours and I'll go to Medellin, Colombia. So a lot of it has to do with location, but some of the um, well-known spots right now would be some different locations in Belize, like Ambergris Key. Belize is always a popular spot. Definitely places like Puerto Vallarta, Mexico is a popular spot. Um, Everybody's heard of Costa Rica all around the Costa Rican beaches. It's very popular. Definitely uh, Panama City, specifically if you want a 
close to a first world city, whatever that means, a main capital in Central America. Really, your only choice is Panama City, which is in Panama. It's not going to be in Nicaragua, which is in Managua. It's not going to be San Jose in <laughs> Costa Rica. It's, it's surely not going to be Tegucigalpa in Honduras. It's not going to be Belize City. So like Panama City is, is definitely a location. Angela, a destination that's absolutely gorgeous in the mountains of Colombia is Medellin. If you want um, metropolitan lifestyle. And then, of course, Ecuador has been extremely hot, specifically, too, with major international publications, right? Like International Living, Live and Invest Overseas. Ecuador has been a huge target for a lot of reasons, but primarily the big hook. The big catch is that you can live cheaper, right? So the big catch for Ecuador is that you can, you know, have the same quality of life, supposedly, that you have now for a fraction of the price. So Ecuador, Cuenca, uh, Playas, Guayaquil, uh, Cotacachi. So some of those areas in Ecuador. Buenos Aires is always very popular, Angela, as you know. And, of course, Chile. And a, a big reason for Chile um, publication-wise is Sovereign Man. Like Simon Black has really um, done up Chile quite a bit. If anybody reads anything as far as um, – international travel or in a, or international diversification or having gold or a bank account someplace else. Sovereign Man, Simon Black's hugely popular. So, yeah, I don't want to say you put Chile on the map. Obviously, it's been there for a long, long time. A lot of people <laughs> have been going that. But as far as a community from the States and, and Canada, I would definitely say um, different locations in Chile. Excellent. Taylor, what country would most people never even think about that would be a perfect place to buy property? And why would that be? Wow, Angela. Well, I personally have never been to Europe. I've had people on my show from Europe. Obviously, I know people who are here, but I've never been to Europe. I love um, Southeast Asia. But if we're talking about real estate, um, a lot of the countries have different requirements. It's not freehold, but it's leasehold. So once I hear things like that about Vietnam or Thailand, is there a way or Cambodia? Is there ways to own it? Yeah, but it gets so confusing. It's like, how would I even figure this out? And then even if I figure it out, I gotta convince or I, I've, I have to educate someone else. So for me, I go back to. Latin America, Medellin, you know, it, it's tough because it's a spot that quote unquote, no one's talking about, but at the same time in this community and live invest overseas type of community, it's been talked about for a long time. Medellin, Colombia, you know, Pablo Escobar and the drug trade and the, yes. and the, um, narco traffickers, it still has that, um, stigma. Does it still go on? Sure. Of course it does. Like in the United States, there's, uh, there's problems everywhere, but you know where to Absolutely. go and where not to go. So exactly. in San Diego, there's areas to go and not to go. I know that everybody knows that if you live here, but that's, but you kind of forget that. So when you hear the news, you're like, Medellin, Colombia, wait a minute. <laughs> well, Pablo has been dead for a long time. Um, is there still drug trafficking? Yes, but it's in specific areas. Is there still killings and kidnappings? Sure, but I don't know the rates, but everybody's not being kidnapped from the streets. So a right. place like Medellin is a awesome location. A place, Angela, that I don't hear anybody, of course, talking about. P uh, people talk about Peru because of Machu Picchu, of course. Um, Cusco, Peru is an awesome gateway city that leads to Aguas Calientes, which is the city right next to um, Machu Picchu. But Lima, Peru, the city of Lima, Peru, um, there's some phenomenal locations, Angela, like Miraflores. Miraflores in Lima, Peru. I think in Latin America, besides Mexican food, 
Peruvian food is phenomenal. It's spicy. There's seafood. There's meat. There's everything. So for me, an area of Lima, Peru called Miraflores, it's overlooking um, the cliffs, which is overlooking the ocean in Peru. Um, so I think Miraflores in Peru is a, is a phenomenal spot that not a lot of people are talking about and not just necessarily for real estate. And I think Medellin, um, Colombia is a fantastic spot and particularly around a popular park called Parque Yeris. Um, and in neighborhoods like El Poblado, which is like a, a hillside overlooking um, Medellin, those two spots are really tough to beat. Wow, excellent. See, and I didn't even know about that. There you or go. Or Angela, I want to mention one more. I'm in Las Trenas, which is the Dominican Republic. It's a three-hour oh, drive yes. from Santo Domingo. It's not like Punta Cana at all, which is kind of mm -hmm. like Cancun. Okay. So this is a small right. little surfer slash uh, a, a fisherman village. So this is where I'm at uh, for the time. Even a spot like this, if you like the beach, if you like a relaxed lifestyle, if you like... Um, some other things in life, then it's fantastic as well. I'm glad you brought up the Dominican Republic. I absolutely loved it there. I was able to see quite a bit of it. My sister actually took me there for my 40th birthday. It was amazing. We got to see quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of the Dominican Republic. We did end up staying at Punta Cana for a while, but we were able to see other parts of it. And I'm really glad you brought that up because not a lot of people talk about the Dominican Republic. And I think it's definitely worth consideration. Angela, I think there's not a one size fits all, but I love the Dominican Republic. I've never been to Punta Cana, which is probably a lot like Cancun, Mexico, where you might say, I don't want it like a Cancun-esque in Mexico, but that's fine. You go to other spots. In, in, in Punta right. Cana, in, in the DR, it's very commercialized. There's a big hotel, mm -hmm. beautiful ocean, expensive. Maybe that's not for you. That's fine. It's a big island. There's lots of other locations to go. I don't like those personally. Outside of Santo, like in Santo Domingo, of course, you have the old colonial zone, which is neat, but that night, but that's kind of hot. It's kind of congested. It's a city. Maybe that's not for you. We'll go to some other spot like um, Samana is a province, a province that I'm in, a little fisherman's village called Las Terrenas. Doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. You don't drive cars around. You have quads or you have like little motor um, cycles that you drive around. Um, if you kind of like a laid back lifestyle a little bit, it might work for you. I personally like rum. They have We have great rum. I like <laughs> um, hand rolled cigars, even though at some point if I smoke too many, I'm going to get cancer. I understand. But I like to have a cigar every now and then. So it kind of depends on the lifestyle that you want to have. But there's a lot to like, Angela, about the DR. Excellent. Taylor, notwithstanding obvious reasons like war-torn countries or unstable regions or what we were talking about earlier, you know, any kind of drug cartel or issues going on in various countries, what are some places that people should avoid buying property right now and why? Well, Angela, I think that, you know, in places like um, Bocas del Toro, Panama, because you can't get, well, you can get title and specific properties, but for the most part, most of them are ROP, rights of possession, meaning you don't own it, but you get to use it. The government owns it. Yes, everybody says there's a process that you can go through. It only takes a couple of years. Nothing ever takes a couple of years and it's never going to get done. So it's places for me where if I'm specifically going to buy real estate, I want freehold. I want title. So for me, it would be certain spots in, uh, in 
in Panama or there are certain spots. Um, maybe you don't want to do with the Fidisi Como and the land lease thing in places like Mexico close to the ocean or in Costa Rica close to the ocean or close to the borders. But there's a lot of countries in Southeast Asia where you can't get freehold. It's leasehold. It means you don't own it, you rent it. Places like Vietnam, you know, Cambodia, you can, but there's a lot of restrictions. Um, everybody talks about Thailand. There's so many restrictions. You can't, you can't own the land, but you can own the um, apartment. But then only a certain percent of expats can own apartments and buildings. You know, it's all in, in Laos or um, Burma is being talked about quite a bit. Indonesia. So for me, it's countries, and this is pretty simple, right? It's like, is it leasehold or freehold? And if it's leasehold, I'm out for the simple fact of I can't get title to own property. So for me, if it's real estate, you really want to look for freehold, which is getting title. You cover a lot of strategies and a lot of niches, such as buying, selling, renting, even subletting property overseas. What's your absolute favorite strategy or part of your business you're involved in right now and why? Angela, I don't like any of them. <laughs> no, my favorite strategy, Angela, it for me, it would be to buy real estate undervalued and sell the real estate. So I know it sounds easy. It's like it's Taylor. Everybody talks about that. That's true. But when we go overseas, you can have a specific way of doing it. And let's walk through the steps. Let's... Now, is this the buy to flip that you're talking about? This is the buy to flip. So, buy under value specifically to sell it. And this very simplified walk through the steps. Let's use a specific city that I know well so I can walk it through. Let's say that we're going to do Panama City and we're going to focus on, there can be different areas, but that doesn't matter. You focus on an area that you get to know. It means that you're there on the ground. You understand what prices are. You deal with agents. So they know what prices are. And it's not listing prices. It's prices that will sell. And you specifically target out-of-country owners. Why do you target out-of-country owners versus in-country owners? Well, the main reason is because they're living in the States or Canada. Let's, let's just assume that's our, 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 our target. They're in, they're in the States or Canada. This isn't their primary residence, their apartment that they bought in Panama City a few years ago. This is their second home or their vacation home or a, a home down the road. And their financial situation has changed. They got sick, they're getting a divorce, they bought pre-construction, but the development took five years instead of two years, so things have changed. Well, a lot of times, you can walk into great deals. So number one, you're on the ground. Number two, you understand what true true sales prices are, and it's not easy to do, but if you do some due diligence, put boots on the ground, you can. Number three, if you have the cash, let's buy something for cash and let's target out-of-country owners, meaning they need to sell, they don't want to sell. And by the way, people hear this from like, Taylor, you're taking advantage of people. That's actually not true because number one, if they need to sell and they agree to a price, you're doing them a favor because they're getting their money and they get to get out. And number two, you're walking into a great deal. And then what you would do once you buy it, of course, and let's assume that you're targeting completed apartments, and let's assume that you're targeting furnished completed apartments that you're buying under value. You might use a local company or a local person or a couple people that you know to rent it out, let's say short term, per night, per week, per month, at the same time that you're selling it. So you're buying under value from out-of-country owners. If you're paying cash, let's just assume you don't have the headache of trying to get financing. 
you buy it, you put someone in per night, per week, per month to rent it out. During that time, you have very little holding costs and you're getting income in. And then you, you, because you did your due diligence, you know, the exit price or the sales price. Then once someone comes in and gives you the price that you want, because you bought correctly, you get to take your money out and you get to repeat the process. Valuable, valuable information right there. Let's, Oh, oh Angela, I was going to say, if you don't mind, that's one thing where you don't have to hope for appreciation, right? If you have the money, you have the choice. If I'm going to, if I have $100,000 cash, U.S. cash, let's just assume it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to buy a place that's worth 100000 If you do some due diligence and you understand prices, there's nothing wrong if you understand that a price is worth 175000 or 150000 why can't you buy it for a hundred? You can. A lot of people will say no, of course. But if you're going to find a, a good deal, want to take a little bit of more time and effort, a couple more weeks, looking at a few dozen more places, speaking with a few more agents, finding those sellers that really need to sell, where you can walk into a good de- deal right now, knowing that you're buying under value right now, instead of hoping or praying for appreciation that may or, or may not happen weeks, months, or years later. Wow. Okay. Very good. There is so much information here. This is so valuable for people who are interested in this topic. And it's obvious you are definitely an expert in your field. <laughs> I, I love it. That's so awesome. Well, Angela, there's one thing, there's one thing that sticks out at me as we as we talk about this. And this is why, even though I've had on dozens and dozens of House Hunters International and Live Here by this on the show, even though I've been to a lot of places, it's not this, let's chase what's hot, that hot stock. Let's chase Amazon or let's chase whatever, or let's chase these markets. So it's, it's Puerto Vallarta or it's Panama City or it's Medellin. I'm not necessarily saying that you should go to any of these. What I'm saying is if you arm yourself with some, some basic strategies and tactics, you should be able to go anywhere and make this work. One person, one book, as I talk about this, I'm plagiarizing, I'm stealing from him who probably got it from someplace else because there's no original ideas anymore. I don't think it's just how we we (laughs) package them is Robert Allen. Very famous, one of the most famous authors of all time in dealing with real estate. Whether you like him or don't like him or agree with his sales tactics or don't, he had this thing where he could go to any city. It didn't matter where. He's not chasing returns. Put me in any city. Give me a few days or a few weeks, and I can understand the city based off of these numbers. It doesn't have to be hot. It doesn't have to be slow. You'd rather be a hot market, sure, but that's a bonus. Let me work my system, my strategies, find out what deals are, find out what sales prices are, buy under value using this system. And I don't care where it is. I can go anywhere. You're pointing out a couple important key uh, key points here because, first of all, There's a difference between buying and selling overseas property for investment reasons and to turn a profit, hopefully, versus falling in place with somewhere that you've traveled and wanting to buy property because you want to actually live there full time or part time. And absolutely, it is about what a person's personal proclivities and tastes are, because not everyone's going to love the mountains, not everyone's going to love the ocean, not everyone's going to love heat or cold or city or suburb. So it just depends on a person's own viewpoint of where they want to be. And again, that falls into, you know, if you're doing it for investing, you're probably 
more open to buying property where you feel you're going to make the best profit versus a place that you're going to call home. Angela, I think that's a fantastic point, but I don't think there's anything wrong. Let's say that you're going to a place and you love it and you love the area and you say, I'm definitely going to buy here. Let's just use a basic example. Find a few places that you like. Any of them might work. You have a certain budget. You stick to your budget. Make aggressive offers on each of them. And whichever comes back with the, the offer that may be of a house that you love at a great price Take it. Just because you like an area, it doesn't have to mean that we lose all sensibility. We might like a specific (laughs) car. That's great. Find that car, find a few different cars, and make an aggressive offer to the owner. If they accept your offer, great. And if they don't, you say, okay, I tried. Let me try this other one. The same thing translates to real estate. Find an area that you like. um, Deal with some agents. Deal with a couple agents. Find a few properties that you love, maybe any of them would work. Make an aggressive offer. That means 10% off or 15 or 20, whatever you think is good. And the one that says, yes, you're buying your dream home and you did it smartly and you're walking into a great deal. Excellent. Excellent advice. Let's switch topics a bit right now, Taylor, and move back to the house sitting concept. So we've talked a little bit about it throughout our time together today in this interview, but can you give people more of a concise interview for people who've never even heard of that? What does it mean and how can someone get started? You, you did talk about um, a reputable website that people can use, but let's, let's uh, delve into this a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. One website, trustedhousesitters.com. Um, Andy Peck is the president. He's been on my show. Another great resource is Nat and Jody from internationalhousesitting.com. It's very, very simple. People have houses and they, for the most part, most of them are going to have pets. They don't want to put their their pets with people that they don't know or that they don't trust or they don't want to spend, you know, $50 or $100, $200 per night, depending on what you have, to put them in a boarding house or um, whatever you do to house animals that you might have. So instead, it's not a new concept, although it's getting popularity um, because of the internet and because of social media, where you travel and you stay in their house. And in exchange for you staying in their house for free, you take care of it. That usually means, not always, but usually means that they have pets there and or they have a great property. So you might have to do basic things like, you know, feed the animals or water plants. You take care of the house. And if you go to a lot of these great websites, everything is there for you. So when we're listening to this, it's like, Taylor, this is crazy. Why would you go to a foreign country to stay in someone's house that you don't know or on the flip side, if I have a property and I might want to leave for a couple of weeks, why would I have a stranger that I've never met staying there? <laughs> Completely true, right? But if you go to these websites now and you sign up for an account, you can see people's images. You can see they, they'll probably have introduction videos. You know exactly where a property is located. You know what that entails. If they want for you to watch some animals, which usually happens like dogs or cats, then it, it, it says that. On top of that, there's reviews. People have stayed there before. They review the owner. Or if you're the owner, there's reviews of other house sitters. A great example is Nat and Jody. They've been traveling the world for almost two years, staying in other people's properties throughout the world. So they base their travel off of jobs that they get. 
So they might be in a certain spot in Costa Rica for a couple of weeks or a month because that's what the that's what the assignment. It's not really a job; it's an assignment. That's what the assignment is. They're the sitter. They're staying in someone else's place. So then. Um, they hopefully have it lined up. So from that place in Costa Rica, there might be another spot in Costa Rica, but they might go someplace else, Mexico, Australia, and all of this is on the site. So what they've done phenomenally is they base their travel on the jobs. And once you start doing it and you have a little following, again, all this can be posted on the sites, then a lot of times you have owners contact you. So they might say, hey, well, you're a phenomenal house sitter, whether you're a single female or whether you're a retired couple or whether you're a family with kids. We, you stayed in other houses. People love you. They love you guys. I see the reviews. I've talked to the owners. Let's hop on Skype. Let's look at each other. Let's do like a, a little video cam. And that's how people get to know each other. Then they trust each other. And then they say, here's when it's open. Are you available? And they say, yes, I'm available. And then they go and stay there. And it seems to be a phenomenal way, if you ask me, to travel the world and not have to pay for housing. Can people actually earn money as a house sitter or is it just free room and board in exchange for taking care of someone's property for a period of time? You can earn money as a house sitter, but specifically like sites like trustedhousesitters.com as a for instance, you pay the site to list as a sitter and they... Um, as an owner, you might pay the site, right? So everybody's paying the site. Um, it could be like a hundred bucks a year. And then you have free access to everybody in the community. And then usually there's not money exchanged. It, it, okay. I mean, you can get paid as a sitter um, and that still does exist. But if, if I'm speaking about um, trustedhousesitters.com as a, for instance, I, it's not my site. It's somebody else's site. It, it, right. <laughs> it's just the number one site there is. So everybody always cites it. So that site, um, for the most part, you know, you, you pay the site a little bit to list. And then uh, the transactions are, you know, when you deal with it, you don't really get paid. Although some people do. But one of the things that you can do around that is develop, um, maybe you, you might have sell a course, teach other people how to travel the world house-sitting, right? So you could, you could potentially, from being a house-sitter, like what Nat and Jody have done, um, from house-sitting, then they said, other people don't know about this, so why don't we, number one, have a website, um, number two, let's have a Facebook community, and then number three, why don't we teach other people how to do this? So they might have training courses or they might be on location in a certain spot um, so they can develop businesses around what they're doing. And I'm sure the person or persons offering to do house sitting must go through a background check and a reference check. And there are certain steps involved for this to even happen. Yeah. So like if you go to the site, they, there's certain things and there's other sites as well, house sit match. And there's numerous sites. If you Google international house sitting or house sitting or house and pet sitting, house sitting, pet sitting kind of goes um, hand in hand. But a lot of what happens is you see who a person is. And the great thing with social media now, Angela, is that everybody can leave reviews like on TripAdvisor or hotels.com or um, a lot of the sites that we use, like how do you pick a hotel? Well, you can go to the sites, you can see pictures, of the person, of their house. You can see who stayed there and you can even contact other people and like, hey, you stayed at this person's house in Peru or their apartment in Paris. How was it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? So you can do all those things online. So it's really transformed it from there's an ad in a paper, let me call and then spend thousands to fly there versus you can go online, check everything out, check out their Facebook profile and you can check out all these things first. You can ask other people. So it's very socialized now. 
Excellent. And, you know, that's one place where technology has just changed our world for the better. And it's so true. And that's just like couchsurfing.org, by the way, yes. which is couch surfing. Mm-hmm. So and it's not just on couches, but that's just what it's called. It might, <laughs> right. be, it might have a sleeping bag. It might be a tent. It might be a, a spare bedroom. It might be a few beds in a spare bedroom. But you could go to a site like couchsurfing.org, which I'm pretty sure is still free. And you can see the community. You can see who's there. There's a lot of meetups. Um, you can ask questions. So a lot of people, and it doesn't just have to be the uh, 20-something-year-old single male with a backpack <laughs> that uh, doesn't like government, right? It doesn't have to be this, I'm only traveling through Southeast Asia thing. There's people now of all ages for all reasons that are, are traveling, whether they're um, young or single or old or with families. And another great way is couchsurfing.org. And it doesn't just have to be couches, but that gives you an introduction as well into maybe a lifestyle or a community that are, people are doing things that you might want to do, but you don't know how to begin. Right. And the difference there is the couch surfing as opposed to the house sitting. The couch surfing is you get to go visit all these different places and stay with people in their homes, usually for free, without having the responsibility of taking care of a property. It's basically like you're a house guest for a while. That's exactly what it is. Phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right, Angela? Right? I mean, it's phenomenal. You, or, you know, there's couch surfing, and then a, a step up could be, you know, like a... Um, um, uh, excuse me, uh, hostel might be a hostel. So it's right. kind of like a hostel scenario, but it's for free. So it's a trusted community of millions of people all throughout the world that understand the concept. I have a, a place. Um, I might want, I might be in, involved in the community. I might have a spare couch or a spare bedroom. Once in a while, I like to rent it out. If they're there, it might be something where they hang out. They might never hang out. It might be a person that works. I mean, there's a lot of reasons of why people do this. I've had a couple of phenomenal ones on my podcast and one of the people um, house a couch surfed um, over 200 couches in Los Angeles wow. <laughs> over the course of four years. So she did it. She had a job. She made money, um, but she had huge bills, including student debt. So she had over $100,000 in student debt bills. So one of the things that she did was um, couch surfing. She was earning, making money, staying in someone else's um, couch or spare bedroom or whatever it was. And she did over 200 couches in four years in a place like LA as a single female and never had any major issues. Is there maybe some things that might happen? Maybe it's not a great neighborhood. Of course, maybe you're staying in a house and you're like, I don't like the vibe, but sure, leave. You didn't pay anything, so leave. But (laughs) one of the ways that it's transformed is there's a community now so you can talk to other people. So if one place has gotten a lot of bad reviews, then you know, well, I'm not going to stay there. If one place has gotten phenomenal reviews, then you say, well, that's probably a good idea. Let me stay there. So I think if I understand correctly, your example of this young gal who was couch surfing several hundred couches in LA with the student loan debt, I, if I understand what you're saying, what she was doing was instead of paying a thousand, two thousand, twenty five hundred dollars a month in rent. She was avoiding that in order to be able to pay her student loan debt back and save money by doing the couch surfing. Exactly right. In a place like Los Angeles, it's not in uh, Bangkok, Thailand or or Buenos Aires or some other city that we might be like, yeah, that might work there, but not here. And that was in Los Angeles. Excellent. Excellent. So I have so many more questions, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to try to narrow this down to a couple final questions. Um, I want to go back to some of the property that you own overseas personally. What is your absolute favorite place that you own property? 
And why did you decide on that location? For me, it's always been about a way that I make money. It just so happened that I got involved in real estate. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily been, I want to own an amazing place and rent it out to everybody to make money. For me, it's always been the buy to rent out to sell or the buy to sell uh, strategy. So for me, it really depends on the area. Panama City is the place that I got started in um, late 2005 or so, moved to permanently starting in 2007. So I would say for me, it's Panama City, Panama. Um, I'm a big believer in getting to an area and understanding it, as I've talked about. Um, you don't necessarily have to live there forever or live there full time. I've used it as a home base to go to other locations. So, and for me, you know, there's a big expat community. It's an active market. There's apartments. Um, Panama City is fairly small, so it's easy to understand. Panama uses the U.S. dollar. There's a banking district. There's a healthy mortgage market. As a foreigner, you can you can. It's still possible to get mortgages in Panama. I've personally done it. Versus a lot of other countries where it might be a cash purchase if you're buying a completed apartment, let's say, or a house. Although some developers will do developer financing, you can find seller financing. So for me, it would be Panama City. And for excellent reasons. Wow. And in Panama as well, if someone says, yeah, Taylor, but I don't want it to be hot and humid or congested, that's fine. There's a mountain community, several, but one of the most popular ones is in a province called Chiriqui. Um, the uh, mountain town is Boquete. For a period of time, I lived about 30 minutes outside down the mountain from Boquete. So if someone says, yeah, but that Central America is hot and humid, if you go to higher altitudes, like in Boquete, as a for instance, then it's cooler and it, and it rains quite a bit more. Or there's phenomenal beach communities, maybe an hour and a half drive from Panama City is one called Coronado, which is a gated community, which has expats. If you say, Taylor, I don't want expats. There's another area of Panama called Azuero. And there's phenomenal beach areas there. Of course, another spot in Panama is like Bocas del Toro. But for real estate reasons, I don't advise Bocas if you're looking to buy and sell. But if you're not involved in buying and selling real estate, then who cares? Bocas del Toro is on the Caribbean side. So that's a phenomenal spot, very much like a Costa Rican style beach town. But that's also a popular spot. So if it's Panama's a great spot for many reasons. If Panama City's not for you, there's other spots there. Well, and, and I really appreciate you giving that kind of detail. As I was listening to you talk about Panama, it reminds me exactly of my experience in Costa Rica. You can be down at the beach level, which may be really sweltering hot that particular day for some reason, humidity and heat. Or you can go up into the Monte Verde Cloud Forest up in the mountains, and it's very cool. More rain can be very temperate, very pleasant. You can be in a city. There are so many different options available that it's it's just it's incredible. It's yeah, amazing. so true. Very and, exciting. And, and that's a great point. So that's why if it's not chasing some spot, there's a matter of you finding out what you like. If you like a beach, then you'd pick a spot with beach. But if you some people aren't sold on, let's say, beaches in Costa Rica, then it might be um, Lake Arena. How we say it wrong? 
Exactly. Yeah, Volcano uh, Arena. Might be yeah. that spot. Mm-hmm. I've had Terry Moran on my show who's in that location. He says there's a lot of people that might not like the beaches in Costa Rica. So he has that spot. You probably wouldn't want to live in San Jose, Costa Rica. Maybe some would because of work. But right. there's a lot of locations <laughs> that just have to be one. Just because one person likes it doesn't mean you're going to like it. That's okay. Try it out. Go someplace else. That's exactly right. And I, I absolutely fell in love with Arenal, and they have the Tabacon Hot Springs right down at the And who doesn't love that? All And they're natural and man-made hot springs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so true. So there's so many different locations, even in one country, in a lot of spots that people don't talk about that you can go and try out for a day or a couple of days or a week. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to rent anything. Just go stay and see if you like it or if you don't like it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Taylor, you are host of your own audio podcast called the Overseas Property Insider Podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit about that and also let our listeners know how they can reach you for more information and guidance on handling real estate transactions overseas. Yeah, absolutely. My main website, internationalrealestatelistings.com. From there, you can find the Overseas Property Insider podcast. I welcome emails, taylor at internationalrealestatelistings.com. But the Overseas Property Insider podcast is I traveling and buying and selling real estate and, and being some locations, I wanted to speak with some speaking with, with people already. I wanted to put it on a podcast, a digital recording is what we like to call it, right? And so I speak with House Hunters International and live here by this real estate agents located in a lot of great areas, Santiago, Chile, or in Spain, or a lot of countries, dozens and dozens and dozens of spots. I speak with um, vacation rental people. So if you're buying a property, uh, you have to do something with it if you're not going to live there. So one other strategy is vacation rentals. So I speak with people. I've spoken with the uh, senior vice president from huge companies like HomeAway. I'm speaking with property management people like Heather Bear, who's based in Canada, who is property management company and also buys and rents out her own places. I speak with people like Thibaut Mason, who is a small investor. He has a couple of places, well, quote unquote smaller. Uh, he has a couple of fantastic spots in uh, St. Bart's and a couple in Bali, Indonesia. Um, a guy like Mikey Rocks, who does the micro subletting. So he has a place and micro sublets it out. I get too involved in this, Angela. And then I also speak with people, since you buy and sell real estate and you do the vacation rental, then it's things like house sitting or it's things like couch surfing or it's things like, um, I don't want to spend all my money traveling. So what are some good strategies when I buy and sell real estate, Taylor, to get airline miles or to live overseas? So I included some things about travel hacking or some basic overseas living types of scenario. So whether you want to think about going overseas or some great strategies to get there so you don't spend all your money, or maybe you want great strategies to buy, there's something for everyone there. So wonderful to have you on the show today, Taylor, you have provided guests with so much valuable information and insight into being able to rent, buy, flip for profit, couch surf, house sit, vacation rentals, you name it. That quite, you know, it's just so amazing. I'm so excited with this information. I learned a ton today. And I know it's a little bit out of the purview of the topics that I usually cover. But at the same time, I want to reiterate that oftentimes we might get caught up in our own thoughts. Obviously, the main premise for my show is how our thoughts upload our reality. So getting away from the idea that, oh, only the rich and wealthy, only the famous can afford to buy property overseas. That's not true. That's a myth. 
being able to get away from the idea that I will I will never be able to have this. It's just a dream. You've been able to really map out for us how we can achieve this goal if this is something we really want to do and be able to put our vision boards or our manifestation list to work for us, not just saying, well, okay, I really wish this would happen, but what do I do? Now we have some really solid, actionable steps that we can take in connections. Thank you so much for sharing all this information, Taylor. I so appreciate having you on the show. Angela, I was more than happy to do it. And you're right. It's about dreamlining. It's about pushing that boundaries. And hopefully we did that just a little bit today. I think we more than did that. And again, thank you so much. We covered some amazing things. You have amazing listeners, I can tell. At some point, let's get ready. Let's do this. Let's get excited. And let's make it happen. And I think we should start today. Go ahead and visit some of those sites that Taylor listed. And I will make sure to include them on the show notes so that people can go to the website. Also, be sure to visit Taylor's website, send him an email, listen to his podcast, subscribe. If you're interested at all in overseas real estate property, this is the man that you want to connect to. Thanks again, Taylor. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.